All right, if you want to stand, we're going to read one verse here this morning. And then we're going to jump in to a controversial topic, okay? Let me just tell you ahead of time, this is the advantage of the third service. So um, I had a bunch of people in the first and second service accuse me of um, like reading their mail or hearing their conversations and preaching on that. I have not, okay? Uh, this is one of those shotgun sermons. Like if you don't get some pellets in you on this one, you're in trouble, all right? You're, you're not living, okay? Uh, you're dead. Uh, some, so this is kind of a, it's a spray, okay? So it's going to hit everybody. So this is nothing personal, okay? That's all I want to say. All right, Proverbs 25, 28. You ready? A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Okay, I'm going to read that again. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Father in heaven, we ask for help today. God, we, uh, God, I, I, can't, I can't believe that there's anybody in this room that would say that they need no help in self-control. And Lord, I think we all do. God, I do. Um, God, as we work through this, I pray that the gospel would become sweeter, that Jesus... Um, Greatness would be the thing that drives us, the thing that we grab onto, the thing that we want more than anything. God, I pray that you'd give us power from your Holy Spirit. God, to choose the best things, to say no to sinful desire. God, give us power for that. God, I pray that you'd teach us and instruct us and give us power today in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. All right, so here's what you have to understand. You have to understand that the people... Who, who, who would have been reading this when it was written, okay? So, so when, when Solomon and, and the other writers were writing Proverbs, the people who were reading this would have automatically, they would have automatically got the tragedy of a city without walls, okay? So when he uses that, that, that imagery that a man without self-control is like a city broken into whose walls are broken down, they would have all gasped a little bit, okay? Because here's the deal. If your walls are broken down in your city, your city would never thrive, okay? It would never make it. It would, it would never, it would never uh, grow, all right? So, so one of the ways that the enemies would cripple a city, they would go in and they would take it over. And a lot of times, they, they, they wouldn't tear down the whole wall and taking it over. They just need to get in, you know, and then they, they kind of, you know, kill a bunch of soldiers and, and take control of the city, and then after they've got control of it, then the soldiers would go around and they would tear down portions of the wall. They would tear huge gaping holes in the wall. And what that did was that made sure you never recovered. All right? So if, if, you're, if your walls are torn down in your city in this day and age, that meant your economy would never recover. You, you, would, you would never recover your commerce. You would never recover good grain prices. You would never recover a good market system. If your walls were torn down, what that meant is you would never, ever be safe, okay? You, you, would, never, you would never be able to say, hey, guys, we're okay. Hey, family, we're safe. No, you'd never be safe. Like every marauding band, every, every group of uh, derelicts or, or raiders or enemy going through the region, if your walls were down, they would come in and they would take what they wanted. And, and, and so that's the picture of a city without walls. It was a tragedy. In Nehemiah, if you remember when the Israelites, um, uh, they disobeyed God, they disobeyed God, they disobeyed God, and finally God said, okay, I'm taking you into exile. So he took them into exile for 70 years. And then, then he brought them back, right? 
Well, this is in, in the time period where he brings them back to Jerusalem. They're, they're starting to come back in waves. Nehemiah still lives in a foreign country. He wants to know what's happening in Jerusalem. And so here, here's the message that he gets. So, so one of his, his brothers comes from Judah. And in, in Nehemiah chapter uh, 1, verse 2, it says, Hananiah, one of my brothers, came and certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. Did you hear that? Like Nehemiah's like, hey, how, how are my brothers doing? How, how are the Jews doing? How, how are the Israelites doing who, who returned back from the exile? And, and as soon as he hears the walls are broken down, the gates are burned from fire, he drops down and he weeps. You know why he weeps? Because they're never going to be able to make it that way. Like Israel will not recover. Jerusalem will not be a great city. They will never flourish as long as their walls are down. All right, so now back to our text. It says, a man who lacks self-control. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. All right, do you see the picture now? Does that, does that make that clearer? So what he's saying is, if you, do not, if you lack self-control in your life, you're never going to flourish. That's what he's saying. Isn't that serious? You're, you're, you're never actually going to be able to thrive. You're never actually going to be the person that God made you to be if you don't have those walls around you. Like, like this verse ought to cause us to, to think about our children, our family. You know, if you realize, man, your, your son is almost grown. I mean, this is, this is Proverbs is a father writing to his son. If you realize your son's almost grown and he can't control his sinful impulses, he can't control his anger, he can't control his desires. Man, if you, if you realize that, you're like, ah, like this is serious. Like that, that's as serious as, hey, dad, I've got a lump, you know, under my arm. You know, it's, it's really hurt. I, I think it might be cancer. Ah, right? That the same response ought to be to someone who lacks self-control. Ancient people in a city without walls, they're going to lose. You see that? They're going to lose. Like they're, they're going to eventually lose their possessions. They're going to lose their freedom. They're going to lose their life. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, he's saying if, if you lack self-control, you're going to end up losing. Like, like the devil's going to take stuff from you. He's going to take your purity. He's going to take your integrity. He's going to take your health, your marriage, your relationships, your influence, your money, your family, your job, your respect. And, and here's the deal. We ought to hate losing. Like, like, like we ought to hate losing. Man, do you, do, you, do you guys have any friends that struggle with addictions? Man, I, I hate that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I hate seeing them fall again and again because they're like a city without walls. You know, and, and over the 22 years of pastoring, I've just had these folks that I spoke truth into and, and, and nurtured along, and they were such a joy and going great. But without self-control, what's inevitably going to happen? If you can't control your sinful desires, and you're going you're gonna to lose. There's going to be an, uh, a binge you know, of drunkenness or drugs or a tinter tramping or a fits of rage or a loss of job. It, it's going to be something like that. In Romans 8, 13, the verse I really like, uh, it says this, if you live according to the flesh, in other words, your fleshly desires, you're going to die. You'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. Like, that, like that's the seriousness we ought to take with 
with our sinful desires. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount when he's talking about lust? He's talking about a man lusting after a woman, and he says, man, if, let me just read that. that that's, that's good enough to read. Uh, Matthew 5. Matthew 5. Matthew 5. Um, here we go. They'll probably get it before I do. Matthew 5, 28. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in her heart. If your right eye caused you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand caused you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members than your whole body going to hell. Did you notice I emphasized the lose? You, know, you see what Jesus is saying there? He actually does not want, don't, please don't pull out your Bowie knife. And, you know, don't, don't do that, okay? Because okay? what he's really saying is, you know, it. Controlling your sinful impulses is so important. It would be better to lose your right hand and your right eye than to lose your whole life, right? Like that, that's what he's saying. He's saying, man, sinful impulses will so destroy your life that if it were possible that you could just chop off hand and gouge out eye, it'd be a big loss, wouldn't it? Man, I mean, it, not having my right hand, that'd be a big loss. Not having my right eye, it'd be a big loss. But not as big as what would come. If, if my life has no walls around it. Let me, let me give you another proverb, okay? These are great little, these go together, okay? These match, all right? So if you're a matcher, these match, okay? So Proverbs 16, 32. Proverbs 16, 32, okay? Are you ready? Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. All right, now, there's a couple of things I really like about that. Now, do, you, do you see that both of these verses have this city aspect to it, right? So the guy without self-control, his city has no walls. So he, he just loses, right? He gets he is taken over again and again and again. The guy who rules his spirit is like the one who takes a city. Like, like, he's able actually to conquer. He's able to, here's the way I would look at it. The guy with self-control gains. The guy without self-control, he loses. Right? That, that's what he's saying. Without self-control, you lose. With self-control, you gain. And then the other thing I really like about this is I like the definition there of self-control. He who rules his spirit. He rules his spirit. That, that's a great definition of self-control. Being able to govern your, your desires, govern your spirit. Let me, let me give you some other definitions. How about that? John Piper. John Piper says that self-control is saying no to sinful desires, even when it hurts. Tim Keller says self-control is the ability to recognize and choose the important thing over the urgent thing. In other words, having your desires properly ordered. The thing I like about Keller's, actually Piper's is, is incredible. You know, man, it's just simple. Say no to sinful desire, okay? But what Keller brings out is there's a lot of times with self-control that it, it's, choosing, it's choosing the best thing over, over. So, so let me give you a great example that we'll use all through this sermon, okay? So you're tired, uh, of no fault of your own, you get to bed late, but you've made a commitment to pray in the morning, to get up and, and come to the Lord in, in you know, 30 minutes of prayer, an hour of prayer, whatever it is, right? Alarm goes off, right? What do you got going inside of you, <laughs> you know? You, what, what do you got going, right? You got one desire that says, just hit the snooze, right? Like, you deserve it. Like, you can't make it through today. Well, as tired as you are, uh, buddy, you know, it's just screaming at you, hit the snooze, right? But then you got this other desire that says, I want to be a guy of prayer. I want to come and intercede for my family, right? And so you got those two. And so self-control is really being able to judge which one of those is better. Which one of those is, is more important? Which one of those is vital? Saying no to the lesser thing and yes to the greater thing. Jerry Bridges, he says, self-control is the governing of one's desires. I like that. He says, self-control is the inner strength under the direction of sound judgment 
that enables us to do, think, and say the things that are pleasing to God. The thing I like about that is he, he combines inner strength with sober judgment, all right? So, so, so let me tell you how that works. Let's use the snooze illustration again, all right? Snooze or pray, all right? Sober judgment says pray is better, okay? But you know what, you know what will happen if you don't have inner strength? You'll be like, pray is better, but I can't, right? You know, like, like, like you don't have it. How many times do you say, I know this is better, right? You got, a, you got asparagus or a Dairy Queen blizzard? Well, I know the asparagus is better, but I mean, you know, right? Like, like I, don't, I don't have the strength, okay? So, so it's both inner strength and the ability to choose what is better. Bethune says, I'm just giving you definitions, self-control is the healthful regulation of our desires and appetites, preventing their excess. I like that one because it talks about excess. We're going to talk about things in the area of self-control. Then maybe they're not wrong. Is food wrong? Food is not wrong. You know, if all you do all day long is eat, is it wrong? Yeah, yeah, you're, you're using it as an idol. So, so excess, and we're going to talk about some areas in which it, there, there's excess, okay? And then the last definition I'm going to give you is a guy by the name Jason Dirks. I really like this one. He's a good guy. All right, here we go. Here's mine. I would say self-control is the Holy Spirit ability to say no to the lesser things and yes to the better things, even when it's costly. Right? That, that's kind of the way I summarize what I believe about self-control. Now, what is at the root of this? Why is this so important? Why, why, does this, why does this hit us all, you know? If it isn't hitting you, you're not listening, okay? Why, why, does, why do all of us come out of here with buckshot in us, okay? The reason is this. We all have wrong desires inside of us, okay? If that were not true, you would have no need for self-control. But what is true about our fallen, broken, sinful state is that we all have Wrong desires. Let me, let me give you a couple of my favorite passages where this is taught very clearly. Ephesians chapter 4. Um, by the way, there's, there's two words here, deceitful desires, that have been incredibly impactful in my Christian life. Okay, That, that little phrase occurs in 22. All right, let me read it to you. Put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Overview. What's Paul saying? He's saying you got to put off that old self, okay? The old you, the you that lived in unbelief, the you that is, is locked into sinful desire, put that off and then put on the new self, okay? But what does he say about the old self? He said it is corrupt through deceitful desires. See, we always want to blame it on somebody else, right? Why, 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 why do I keep getting stormed? Why, why are my walls down? Well, it's so-and-so, you know. But here's the reality. Every temptation that you experience, you, you know what that's rooted in? You've got wrong desires inside of you. Paul calls them deceitful. You know why they're deceitful? Because they lie to you. They lie to you. They tell you something is better when it's not. They tell you you should do something when you shouldn't. They tell you you deserve it when you don't. Like they're deceitful. They're lying desires. They're lying desires that will bring you into temptation. James 1.14, here we go. Why are you tempted? How are you tempted? Just going to answer it. Are you ready? James 1.14 says, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by what? His own desire, right? We always want to blame it on the devil, and the devil absolutely has a, has a hand in that. We always want to blame it on the scantily clad woman, okay? And there, there's probably an issue there. We always want to blame it in the bad friends that are always calling you into bad activity. And there's definitely truth in that. We've seen that already in Proverbs. But at the root of why you and I fall is our own desire. And notice he says each person is tempted when he is 
lured and enticed. You've heard me say this before, but it's too good just to not say it every time. Those are fishing and hunting and trapping terms, okay? And they still are today. Lured is anyway, right? We still, that's what we call the thing you fish with, right? And, and you know why that's significant? Because, again, what, what, what's inside of you? Deceitful desires. What is the devil using? He's using your own desire that is deceitful. And when you fish, that's what you do, right? When you fish, you lie to fish. You, you, you fashion something that looks like something that will bring them life, that will feed their belly, that will give them strength, that will help them swim and do whatever fish do, and you lie, right? You lie because you put a hook in it. And when they take it, what do you do? You drag them to their death. Or you can throw them back, I guess, but you drag them out. You almost scare them to death, you know, jerk them out of there. They can't breathe, flopping around. You're celebrating, taking pictures. They're dying. It's exactly what the devil does, right? He puts something that, that looks like it's going to give you life. It is a lie. That's what's inside of you. You have this deceitful desire, and it's a lie. And whenever deceitful desires are indulged, whenever you say yes to these desires inside of you, man, they become destructive desires. You begin to lose. Not only that, but you... You get a war going on inside of you. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, abstain from the passions of the flesh. That's how he describes it. Passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. You ever felt that inside of you? If you haven't, I don't understand you. Like, I don't know what planet you're living on, but it ain't the same one I am. I feel it every day. This conflict inside of me of the Holy Spirit. Actually, if you're not a believer, you may not have experienced this. Come to think of it, not, not, not to this degree. The Holy Spirit calling you to higher things and your own sinful desires trying to pull you back. Listen, listen to Galatians. Galatians 5.16. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. That's our experience, isn't it? Right? We got these desires inside of us that want to drag us down. Let me give you the big three categories. I, the, I think they are. I, I don't have any proof of this, and I haven't thought it all the way through, but I think there's three big categories. Okay, I think you got the category that I would call anger and other wrong emotions. Okay? So... So what happens when someone hurts you? They hurt you. They said something nasty about you. They said something mean. They, they, they cheated you in a business deal or whatever. Then you, what wells up inside of you, right? A desire. What is that desire? That desire is to kick them to the ground and stomp on them, right? Like that, that's the desire that wells up. In, like you want to hurt them. You want to hurt them and, and, and you, want to, you want vengeance, you want revenge, okay? That, that, that is a, a sinful desire. And if you're a person who acts on that again and again and again and again and again, every perceived slight, every, uh, every, every time your wife doesn't meet your needs or doesn't, doesn't respond as quickly, every time your kids don't act like you think they ought to and you, you respond in this fit of rage, you can't govern your desire. You have a deceitful desire inside of you. And it's going to hurt you. The other big area would be sexual lust. 
Whenever you indulge the desire for a sexual encounter with someone who's not your spouse, or whenever you give way to desires to see and to imagine others in a sensual way, or whenever you simply don't govern your thoughts, like you're, you're not controlling what you think about. Philippians 4.8 says, um, this is a paraphrase, uh, finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's, ah, it's up on the screen, I can read it. Whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Like, you should govern your thoughts. And then the final area, and I'm grouping a whole bunch of stuff in this one, is just the area of excess, okay? Excess. And so, so what, what I mean by excess is some of these things are not wrong in themselves, but if you give you if if you have a if you can't control your desire for them, they become wrong, right? So what would be in that category? Food, drink, alcohol, entertainment, movies, rest, sleep, all all those things would fall into that category. So so they're not bad in themselves. But but if but if you if you can't govern your desires, if you're not master over them, and, and so so that your desires are ruling, then they become idols. They they become things that keep you from doing important things. Right? So you you, you know you ought to be discipling your kids, but there's a desire in you that that's hard, you don't want to do that. You'd rather watch twelve hours of Netflix. You know, you'd rather play a game on your phone. You'd rather scroll through social media again and again and again. So these things that you need to be doing, you should be doing, God's called you to do, but you're not doing them. Why? Because you can't govern your desires. And the same with food and the same with drink and alcohol. You know, it's, it's this area of excess, let's talk about it for a second. It's interesting because there's a lot about it in Proverbs, and there's a lot about this father talking to his son about it, okay? So let, let me read you a verse that no Baptist likes, okay? We may actually get kicked out of the Baptist because I read this this morning, and, but I'm willing. I'm willing to do it, all right? We're going to do it. In fact, there's some Baptist Bibles that do not have this verse in it. Take a deep breath, everybody. Proverbs 23, 19. Hear, my son, and be wise, and direct your way, direct your heart in the way. Be not among drunkards. Or among gluttonous eaters of meat. Oh. That stings bad, doesn't it? We just want to ignore that, don't we? What? How'd that get in there? Who did that? Be not among drunkards. Isn't it interesting that he puts, he puts people who can't control their appetite in the same category as people who can't control their alcohol? Hmm. That's a stinger there. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty. What does he say about them? He says they're going to lose. And, and slumber will clothe them with rags. Oh, man, you see what he just did? He put sleep in the same category. So you've got, you've got alcohol, you've got eating, and you've got sleeping all in this category of they're not bad in themselves, but if you cannot govern your desire for them, they become something that will actually cause you to lose. Let's keep going. Since we're already in this far... I've just decided I'm going to offend everybody today, and so let's just go all the way, all right? Um, keep reading in 23. So 23, 29. 
Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over wine. Those who go, go to try mixed wine. Do not look at wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup and it goes down smoothly and in the end it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things. Your heart will utter perverse things. You'll be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea. The one, like one who lies on the top of a mast, they struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When will I awake? I must have another drink. So alcohol is a really tricky one in this category for a couple reasons. So, so let, let's, let's, let's take the others. So you take food, okay. So listen, do not come away from this sermon saying, I'm not going to eat anymore, okay. We'll be doing your funeral soon, all right. All right? Like, like you got to eat, right. But, but, but there's a sinful desire in us that wants to make food this, the thing that solves our problems, right? Like, I'm sad, so I'm, I'm going to eat. I'm, I'm worried, so I'm going to eat. I'm, I'm bored, so I'm going to eat, right? That, that, that's the part that makes it an idol. That's the part that you're not governing your desires. There's actually other things you should be doing, and you're going to lose out, right? Now, alcohol is even more tricky because you can actually live without it. Right, like, uh, like you, you don't actually have to drink it, okay? But, but on the other hand, it's it's in the Bible, right? So it's it's not necessarily a thing that the Bible condemns, all right? So what do we do with that kind of stuff? I'm so glad you asked, because here at Lincoln Avenue, here's what we do with this sort of stuff: we turn to Romans 14, okay? So when you have, whenever you have an area in the Scripture that is gray, okay? So so another one of these might be entertainment, okay? Media. All right. So there's there's certain forms of entertainment that some people are like, no, you shouldn't do that. And other people are like, hey, there's nothing wrong with that. It's not condemned in the Bible. You know, just you shouldn't do it to excess or you shouldn't do it to wrong. Okay, so so where do we do? Well, we turn to Romans 14. Romans 14 is really the way that we navigate through those gray areas with three points. Okay, this is kind of a sermon within a sermon. You're getting a two for one today. Okay, right. So here's a sermon within a sermon. Here's how we navigate those issues. Number one, we have strong convictions about our own life, about what will glorify God. There's a great verse, um, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, that says this. Whether you eat or whether you drink, do all to the glory of God. I don't think it's in there, Patrice. I don't think I put it in there. But whether you eat or whether you drink, do all to the glory of God, okay? So what it, what, whatever we do ought to be to God's glory, all right? So the first, first point here is have strong convictions about what will glorify God. Now, Romans 14, verse 5 and 6, Okay. One person esteems one day as better than another. Another esteems all days alike. Each one should be, here's what, here's what you should be, fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day, observes it on the Lord. The one who eats, eats it on the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains it on the Lord and gives thanks to God. All right, so, so what he says is, whether you observe the day, whether you don't, whether you eat, whether you don't, whether you drink, whether you don't, you ought to do it for God's glory. All right, so, so go through everything in your life, okay? Your entertainment choices, your, your movie watching, your uh, video game playing, your uh, drinking, your eating, whatever it is, you ought to be fully convinced, I'm doing this for the glory of God. If you're not convinced of that, you shouldn't do it. All right, that's number one. Number two, don't pass judgment on other people's strong convictions, Okay? So a lot of times what we do is we, as soon as we work that out in our own mind, like, okay, man, I'm doing this for the glory of God, or I'm not doing it for the glory of God. And then we look around saying, well, what you doing? Oh, you're doing a different thing than me, you know? Hey, you're, you're wrong, and I'm right. No, 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 no. Paul goes out of his way to say, don't do that. Romans 14.10, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. And then skip down to verse 12. Each of us will give an account of himself to God. 
That's, it's not my place to tell you that your, that your conviction's wrong and mine is right. That, that's not, that's, again, these are gray areas, okay? Now, if, in the case of alcohol, if you got three DUIs, okay, and I find you drunk out on Main Street and you can't get home, I'm telling you, you're in the wrong, okay? Because the Bible clearly says you should not be, like, you, you've crossed the line, your walls are down, and you're going to lose, and I don't want you to lose, and I'm going to help you, okay? But we're talking about areas that are gray, all right? So areas that are gray have strong convictions about what glorifies God. Number two, don't pass judgment on other people's strong convictions. And number three, don't, don't, there's three, and all three of these are really important, don't put a stumbling block in the way of a brother. So Romans 14, 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. All right, and so, so those are your three ways that we navigate through the gray areas that, that really, there are things that maybe aren't wrong, but the things that with excess are wrong or things in the wrong way are wrong. All right? We navigate through them that way. And, and each of us has got to do that for yourself. My, take the situation of alcohol. When, when, when I look at alcohol, you know what I think of? I think of um, Em and I both. We have generations of our family that were badly damaged by alcohol, right? So, like, like we got this bad path. Many of you don't. Many of you look back and you're, you're, there's, no, there's nothing like that. Okay, Em and I grew up in that. Like, I grew up seeing, I grew up seeing the men in my family, okay? Um, this is prior to my dad's salvation, but I grew up seeing the men in my family just being taken to the cleaners through alcohol. Emma grew up same way in her family, right? We both struggled with alcohol before, prior to my conversion, all right? So we've got this history that we got to deal with, okay? And then we get saved, and then, then now, we're, now we're free, and, and now, now those chains are broken, and we're trying to follow God and follow Christ, and now I'm a pastor. Oh, that puts a whole other spin on it, right? For 22 years, there has not hardly been a week in this church that I have not counseled someone who either has a drug or an alcohol problem, Right? So now I'm carrying that, like, and I'm living in a small town. You know, when I go out to eat, you know how many people I see that I know? Half the people in the restaurant, right? And, and half of them I've counseled, right? And so, so the, the, you see what I'm saying? Like, I've got to take all of that, and I've got to, I got to form a strong conviction about what in my life is going to glorify God. And I'm not going to judge other people for their decisions. I, I actually rejoice in whatever decision they've made in the glory of God. And then number three, I'm going to make sure I don't, I don't cause people to stumble. So that's how we navigate those, all of those things, movies, entertainment, all, all those things. You, you've got to navigate them through kind of that grid, okay? But, but, the, but the whole heart of this is, is in food and drink and entertainment is this issue of self-control, this issue of how do I rule my spirit? How do I govern my desires, not my desires govern me? All right, now let me, let me give you the answer to that question, okay, in as brief as I can, all right? Number one, you've got to become convinced. You've got to become convinced of this, that it is better, it is better to follow Jesus than your desires, okay? You will never make progress. I don't care if you go away to Palm Springs to the best, you know, rehab facility or addiction treating facility. I don't care if you buy all of Dr. Phil's stuff, all of Oprah's stuff, all of everybody's stuff. You're not gonna make progress in this area until you are convinced that what Jesus says is better. So, so like, like think back to, to Proverbs 16. Proverbs 16, 13 says, 32, I'm sorry, the verse we looked at, 1632. Whoever slow to anger is better than the mighty. He who rules the spirit implied better than he who takes a city. All right, so, so right, right in there. So you've got to be convinced. Like a lot of people just aren't convinced of that. Like when they get hurt, 
when someone cuts them off in traffic, when the boss sends a zinger in the meeting, they're not convinced that Jesus' way is better. What they're convinced of is, my way of hurting you is going to be better. Like I, It's, it's going to make me feel better. They're not convinced. As, when you're, as long as you're not convinced, I don't care if you, you know, carry around little note cards, you know, I will not be angry. I will not be angry. I will, you know, write it on your forehead. I will not be angry, you know. You know what's going to happen? You're going to be angry, and you're going to lose your temper unless you're convinced that Jesus is better. You're like, I don't know if you're right about that. Oh, look at Apostle Paul. Paul disagrees with you, okay? Romans 9. Not Romans 9. 1 Corinthians 9. 1 Corinthians 9. Okay, here's Paul's example of an athlete. Okay, 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run? Only one receives a prize. You want to be that guy, right? Run that you may obtain it. Every athlete, you know what the athletes do? They exercise self-control in all things. They exercise self-control in all things. They're eating, they're drinking, they're sleeping, they're entertainment. They're those people that it's dark outside and they're out there running and nothing is chasing them. They're just running. Why? You know why they're running? They want the prize. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. Okay, a wreath in that day was, was when you won, when you won the Olympics, you got this honor, glory position, this, this Olympic wreath. Okay, they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we, why do we discipline our bodies? Why, why do we say no to our sinful flesh? Because we got some imperishable reward coming. Keep reading. So I, I do not run aimlessly. This is verse uh, 26. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control. Isn't that, isn't that a beautiful way to say that? I keep my body under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. You see, see what Paul's doing? He's saying, man, it's better. Like the reward, the prize is better. I trust Jesus on this. Now, let me, let me show you another key passage. Titus 2. I know, I know we're running out of time, but these are just too good not to show you, okay? Titus 2.11. This gives you the key to how you train yourself to be self-controlled, okay? Titus 2.11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Stop right there. All right. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. All right, so what's happened there? So Jesus Christ has come in the gospel, right? He has come taking your sin upon himself, dying in your place, okay, giving you his righteousness, okay? By faith, when we're joined to him and repentance, when we're joined to Christ, we have the righteousness of Christ, we have the riches of God, we have the beauty of the gospel, we have this hope of eternity, we have this power of the Holy Spirit inside of us, all right? So the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Now notice where that goes. Next verse. Training us. Training. Like, tra you know what training is, right? Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know what's so beautiful about that? You would think the way you get self-control is by law. You would think that you get self-control by somebody with a whip, right? You know? You're a Dairy Queen and you're like, I'd like the large smack, you know, right? <sighs> that never works. It, it doesn't. 
Like law doesn't work. You would think someone's screaming at you. Now, you, you know what works? Grace. See, let me read it again. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age, waiting for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, grace teaches us that Jesus is what you need. What's going to satisfy your soul? Jesus. What's going to make you happy? Now, if you ask your inside here, you got a thousand sinful desires answering that question, don't you? What's going to make you happy? Lay down on the couch and watch 24 hours of TV. What's going to make you happy? You know, get even, get revenge. I want my neighbor's house to burn down, you know, and them to barely make it out alive. But I want that dog to burn in it, you know. Like, what's going to make you happy? Right? Like, like there's all kinds of stuff answering that question. Okay, but you know what grace teaches us? You know what? Christ coming and dying for your sin and giving you his righteousness and creating a new heaven and a new... You know what that answers? Jesus will satisfy your soul. He will make you happy. That's what grace teaches us. And so now, now, when we're angry, now when we're angry, instead of indulging that desire, you know what we do? We say, no. No, I trust Jesus. His way is the way to joy. He'll work out that other deal. I trust him. Now when, 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 when lust rises up within you and says, oh man, you, you got to have that. You got to gaze at that. You got to look at that. You got to pursue that. No, no, no. No. Jesus is the one who will satisfy every need in my heart. I trust him. Now when you're sad and you're lonely and you're tired and you're frustrated and you're bored, Instead of answering those calls inside of you for excess, you're like, no, no. I'm giving myself to the pursuit of Christ. I'm giving myself to prayer. I'm giving myself to the word. I'm giving myself to witness. I'm giving myself to him. See, that's what trains us. That's what trains us to say no to sinful desires and yes to godly desires. Now, again, you're my definition I think this is by the Holy Spirit, okay? I think, I think the power is, comes from the Holy Spirit to do this. So, so in Galatians 5, that passage we were looking at, it talked about the flesh and the Spirit. At the end of that passage, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Okay, so the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, it's a gift. Okay, so think about this. The more I saturate my mind and heart with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit, the more I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, the more that power comes to say no to sinful desires and yes to Christ, okay? But it's, it's both a gift and it's your obedience. So, so you know the great example of this? I read this this week. It's the promised land, okay? God gave the Israelites the promised land. Did he not? You guys remember that? He gave it to them. man. Centuries before they got there, he gave it to them. But yet, in order to have it, what did they have to do? They had to get off their keister, take their sword, and they had to go storm city after city after city after city. And you're going to do the same thing. It's the same thing with you. 
God said, I've given you, and I've given you life. I've showed you who I am. I've, I've given you my word. I've given you the truth. But now you've got to take it up, and, and you, you've got to fight battle after battle after battle. And as you do, the fruit of your submission to the Spirit will be victory. It'll be victory in those areas. So let's ask Him to help us. Father in heaven, we ask for help this morning. God, we ask for help in, in God, all of these areas. God, in, in all of our sinful desires and impulses and deceitful desires and temptations, God. God, we're weak. Um, we're weak when it comes to anger, when it comes to self-pity, when it comes to avoiding the things that we know we ought to do. When it comes to hard things, God, we're weak. God, we're weak in the areas of, of lust and of inordinate wrong desires. God, we're weak in, in areas of food and drink and entertainment and television and sleep. And God, we're just weak in all those things. And God, I pray that you would put it in us, God, to know that you are the best thing, to trust you as, as the treasure, as the prize. God, help us to fight battle after battle. Lord, that we might have life. Father, bring about the fruit of the Spirit in us, the fruit of self-control. God, please put walls around our life, God, walls that would protect us from evil, would protect us from ourselves, God. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name.